0: Blog Talk Radio Gentlemen, welcome back to the Bareback Facts. Today I have a very special guest coming to you live from Ukraine. He is a young, aspiring scholar. He's got his master's, he's for he's he got his master's degree from the University of Akron. He's an avid writer of fantasy literature and he is an avid scholar of European history and culture. Today we're going to be picking his brain about what it's like to Study abroad, his adventures as a researcher, the challenges that young researchers face, uh, and what it's like to just be in a part of the world that's experienced a lot of uh, a lot of controversy, particularly over the last year. Tom.
1: Hey, what's up?
0: How are we doing, buddy?
1: We're doing we're doing quite well, quite well. And yourself, sir?
0: Oh, we're doing we're we're doing, man. So welcome to the bareback facts, man. This is where we make the magic happen. So let's get right into it, man. You got, your, you got your master's from the University of Akron, and you got this opportunity to go to Ukraine and study and kind of get your hands dirty. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a young scholar,
1: what it's like to be kind of a hot shot, new to the field. What's it like? A hot shot. That's, uh, you're far too kind. Um, no, I mean, it's, it, I always feel like it's a race against time in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm 27, uh, right now and, you know, the way things are looking in terms of like where I want to see myself, um, you're, you're always kind of pushing that next like step because, you know, a lot of people, especially in the academic field, they're trying to get their degrees as early as possible now, you know, cause it takes so long to get a job. It takes so long to, um, get like either tenure or, you know, find some place of permanency. And uh, so when I was given the opportunity to go abroad, that really I've done a lot of it um, for, you know, the PhD, uh, you know, the potential PhD that is. Um, right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, it'll pay dividends off in the, in the future. Uh, if it doesn't, then it doesn't. If it does, it does. Um, but I'm really excited because, you know, a lot of people, we, you don't get the chance to see the world in, in yeah. kind of, of like, I think there's a big difference between traveling and tourism. And I realize that everyone kind of, you know, on Facebook and on Twitter, they, oh, you know, tourists, 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 but, you know, when you live in a place, uh, you know, so I've been in Ukraine for a year now. I've been in Ivano-Frankivsk uh, city in western Ukraine for a year. Uh, right. You, you, you are here. You are, you know, part of, um, of, of a community. Instead of like when you're touring, when you're like, okay, I'm going to go to Spain for a week, or I'm going to go to France for a week, or England or whatever. Um, you,
0: you're not part of the
1: community. You don't know, like. You know, you can't go into a cafe and people know who you are. In the same way, when you live anywhere, really, even in the U.S.
0: So, I guess my follow-up question, you you know, you mentioned this, and this is a really good thing that I wanted to bring up because a lot of people don't realize this. But, you know, as young historians, um, we're we're not just telling you a narrative. We're not just telling you a story. We're trying to get you uh, to understand the cultural context of what we're talking about. To understand. Uh, the, that we are talking about a time in which there are people living, breathing, uh, dying, uh, and they're doing uh, they're they're going about their day to day. This is the world we are trying to create for people so you you kind of painted that picture uh, for me right there that you once you live in a place it's not the same as sort of passing through I mean a lot of people travel a lot of people go to a lot of places, but that doesn't mean they really know the people there. Talk a little bit about what it's like to really uh, sort of get close to the actual people that you're studying because you, you're in a you know you're in a very unique position. I mean, you said it yourself; you're in a very unique position. You know, not everybody gets this opportunity.
1: No, um, I mean, I think that the first step, historian or not, uh, when you when you live somewhere new, you you have the chance to integrate into a society. Now that comes in different ways. Um, you know language is one uh interests or another. Uh, I, for instance, I don't speak well. I mean my Ukrainian is, is quite bad. Um <laughs> and and so I have to whereas some of my friends over here, they're Ukrainian um or they're you know Russian or they're Polish, you know whatever they whatever they're speaking with people as they travel around Europe is quite good. And it it's it's very tough so you have to think of different strategies of how you're going to integrate uh and so my strategy has always been you know i find like very strong english communities and i you know maneuver myself into those communities and uh, i'm a fairly likable guy so it's 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 not too too hard uh but then you know in terms of studying and in terms of researching you you know, this gives you access. It, 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 and, and when you say to someone, especially like if you're going to go to an archive or something, if you're just some American tourist or researcher right. coming abroad or something, you go, know, oh, can I have access to your archives? They're going to be like, yeah, yeah, we will after you prove yourself. Whereas if you say, like, hey, I live down on this street, then they go, oh, I live on that street too. God, oh, that's really, that's much easier now. All of a sudden, um, you know, you have access.
0: Right. And that's one of the other things I wanted to touch on, you know, for, for the young, for the young aspiring uh, scholar or young writer, who's looking to get their hands uh, dirty and get out there and get into some archives, because let's face it, we, we, we love archives. We all archives. So, yeah. you know, for the young person that's, you know, looking to get into this and, and looking to try and experience, uh, you know, researching hands-on being in that place, uh, because, you know, the, the there's something to be said for, you know, having primary sources and being able to go to the source uh, of where your source is coming from. Uh, but as you said, access is an issue sometimes. So talk about, you know, a little bit about those challenges. I'd like to get into some of the challenges of really gaining access and being uh, noticeably, you know, different uh, in the area that you're in
1: when you arrive. Um, so I don't have too much experience in terms of uh, archives currently because so much of what I've been doing here is kind of uh, just getting my feet wet, as it were, um, You know, teaching and, and doing some other things. And so, like, while research is part of what I'm doing, a lot of my research has come from my research or my aspirations of research for later um, have come just through, like, talking to different people. However, uh, speak as to that, which I can do. Um, you have to be able, I think, to wine and dine. Uh, you have to be able to approach people as people. Um, and I think the professional barrier and the personal barrier need to need to be removed at times and you need to say, okay, yes, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a professor, I'm a researcher, I'm whatever. Uh, but I'm also a person and, you know, taking someone out to dinner is a much better surefire way of getting access to their, you know, picking their brain for you know memories or, or things like that. And especially if you do like, you know, in Europe, if you, if you study the 20th century or the, you know, Cold war uh people have and this is their personal story like you're you're asking them about their grandparents, you're asking them about that like their lives like, they lived in the Soviet Union, or they lived on um, to see like you know the Third Reich or they like that and that's a different world entirely, and you need to be able to you know do the cultural customs first and then worry about the research. Right. So talk
0: a little bit. Of, I'd like, i like to pick your brain on that a little bit more. You know, you made a, you made a very good point, you know, in that people oftentimes forget outside the, you know, outside the realm of scholarship and even, you know, people that are sort of new to the game as we kind of are um, tend to forget that oftentimes when you're interviewing people, this is really part of their life. This is a very personal uh, change that you're having. You know, you're not, when you're interviewing an individual and I've happened to have firsthand experience, I, I did uh interview with some veterans, which is, which was in, intense. Uh, but mm-hmm. interviewing people is an extremely personal experience and everybody has their own strategy. So I'd like to know, you know, what kind of strategies do you use uh, when you, you know, I, I know you mentioned the whining and the dining, but what sort of strategies do you use to, you know, assert that, that sense of comfortability, uh, to get people to sort of open up about these experiences because it is a challenge.
1: Um, I think the best way to do it is uh, not to go in as a researcher but as an interested party that in, in their history. Um, people, I, I think most people want to tell you about their lives. Uh, I think most people don't get the chance to talk about their lives. Uh, so, if you are at, you know, it's one thing to like pull out a notebook in the middle of a dinner and be like, oh, can you repeat that? Like, what year were you born and what did you say and what did you do? Um, but what is important is listening and then saying, you know, maybe after dinner, after, you know, meeting with someone's normally their grandparents saying, hey, um, I would love to sit down with your father or with your grandfather and talk to them. For me, it's, it's much more formal because I have to bring a translator. I, I can't just do it myself. Because my language skills aren't that good. And so it does become a much more formal occasion, but you have to get to that point where you ask, like, hey, can, can we do this? And normally, you know, they say yes, they want to. Um, and then the the next strategy is you, you go in with questions but I think inevitably um, they're just going to start telling you what they know and you can only guide the the story for so long. Uh, you're you're going to come out with a lot of information that you probably didn't expect or didn't need or didn't want um, you know, pertaining to your first thesis or your first question, or your first hypothesis. But by like later on, you might say, "Well, wow, this is a much more interesting story," or you know, "Okay, I've got like something that will help me here." You know, it's, a, it's always it's always kind of it's a stro- stroke of luck, you know, if you get a really good like thing, but it, it 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 can it can go either way. Yeah, and you know that's
0: another thing. You know, the trial and error of sort of sort of the interview process it it can be a real challenge. You just you, you're not sure on occasion, especially. If, uh, when it comes to people and, you know that have fought in wars or who have experienced traumatic, uh, traumatic things, you're not really sure how much, how far you, you should push or what questions uh, sometimes are the wrong questions. So there's a lot of trial and error in there. Uh, another thing I want to kind of pick your brain about, something that a lot of people are going to be curious about, I think, is what it's like uh, to sort of really go out and experience another culture.
1: Because uh, we hear a lot
0: of times about culture shock and and you know the difficulties of adjusting to you know, different time zone, different you know different uh, cultural practices, the way people do things in this country are not you know not the same. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about uh, your experience uh, going from you know sort of acrid to Ukraine. I mean, that's it's a bit of a change, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, and this is my first time really abroad as well. I've never, I mean, I I don't really consider Canada or the Caribbean going abroad. Um, I right. had never, right. yeah, I had never even crossed the Atlantic Ocean, so this was like this was an extreme. Um, the for me, the culture shock. I don't know. I never had a moment where I'm like, oh, this is this is too much. I just can't do this anymore. You have. It interspersed, like there's days where I wake up and go, oh, I wish I was home. Um, (laughs) But then there's also days where I'm like you know, I'm going home in um, I don't know, a year, and I'm like, I don't want to leave. I can't leave. I've made friends here. I've made like, you know, this is is also my home. Um, And so that's equally difficult. Uh, so, I, I don't know, like, there's, there's things that I miss. I mean, I miss, you know, like, I miss, I miss hearing English all the time. You know, I miss, like, you know, people watching in that regard. Uh, my family, of course, and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, when you get home after all this kind of culture shock that you receive for two years... You know, it 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 embeds you with that kind of, with a sense of adventure, and you know, I think it'll be really difficult for me to you know, you return to Pittsburgh or return to Akron or return anywhere and kind of just sit. That would be really tough. Like I'm I'm a fairly active person in that regard, so I it it it, it, it can it can be really hard. I think I think reverse yeah. culture shock is just as scary as culture shock, but I didn't have
0: that, that many problems. Right. Right. I mean, that's another thing, you know, uh, how closely tied you can get to a place once you're there, you know, and that's, that's something that I think people find really fascinating is that oftentimes it is the reverse. You go somewhere, you know, you visit and you're like, I really just don't want to leave this, but, uh, you know, I really like it. I like mm-hmm. that now. And, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of, it kind of sounds like you, you know, you've sort of, uh, you know, as they say gone made up, you know, you're kind of you're kind of uh becoming one of the people, you know, and you feel like you belong there, which you know, you've been there long enough now, you probably have picked up, you know, some of the same uh you know some of the same mannerisms, you know, you're on a routine a schedule like and, Oh, a that, uh, oh, little bit. Uh, I see,
1: I kinda I don't think I, I, I the whole going native thing I think I don't think it actually can happen. I think we we say it does. Um, people who you know because it um, it always seems like it's just Americans who are the ones that go native. No no like um it, it just that's it always seems in the American context. There's always Americans going native, Americans becoming right, this other right. thing. There it's always like in, in the exotic sense. It's like oh this American went to Mongolia. He's Mongolian because he shoots like you know. Uh, composite bow from a from on horseback or something. You so native? You're not native. You're never native. They know you're not native. Right. Everyone can tell you you're not native. Um, you, you the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you it, 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 they know. And in the same way that like it, first generation immigrants, I think, have a really tough problem in. When they come to the United States do historically presently um, because you have these forces that tell you adapt 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 and that's just you you can't you just can't abandon your culture um, that you've been raised with since you 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 were born you're, you're all I'm always going to be an American if I had children over here that would be different they would be ukrainian but I will always be an American in the same way that I think like first generation immigrants go, no matter which way you're going, are always going to be that. But then, you know, as we see historically, this changes and they, you know, second generation or third generation, this is, this is something, this is sort of literature. Gary Soto, uh, some other, you know, authors who, you know, kind of wrote in the, you know, in the 20th century about, about these issues, you know, they, they, they argue the same thing.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought up the fact that, you know, it's always from our perspective that you've kind of, you know, because you're sort of trying to experience the culture, or maybe you've picked up some mannerisms that there's this assumption that there is, uh, that there is something extremely exotic about being in another country, right? It's exciting. It's sexy. Uh, You know, you're not, you're not where you're from and, and uh, you know, there's uh, there's a different there's a different feel. You know, there's a, an exoticism that comes with uh, studying abroad, or just with travel in general. That uh, you know, there is always this this thought in the back of the mind that oh, you know, you're going to go to this place and you're going to forever be changed uh, when you come back. It'll be different as it was than it was before. That you won't be able to sort of kind of fall back into the way you know you, you're not going to go home and have a sticky bun or something. You know, now you're going to eat nothing but sauerkraut. These Uh, sort of wild ideas about travel is another one of the reasons why I wanted to steer us in this direction is uh, there is sort of that misconception right that there is an exotic uh,
1: aspect to traveling no matter where it is right Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that I think that's why people go I don't think that's why people stay um I've always been one to uh, you know, when you, for instance, like when you teach, um, you know, there's that the sense of magic that exists in other places, and and you know, magic's kind of a weird word, but like that can be that can describe, you know, the Austrian Alps as much as it can describe like Ann Arbor. I mean, there's there's a magic to New England or something that you know pushes you. I want to I want or New York or San Francisco, um, and that's exotic exoticism. In 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 a way, Um, and I think that you you go and the exoticism or what is exotic eventually disappears. It's only it's only exotic because it's strange and it's not normal for you, but it's normal for other people. Right. And so that's and that's I, I think it 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 has to change. And I mean, exotic is is. In some fashions, dangerous, um, as, as I think a lot of modern um, historians mm-hmm. and literature, literature critics will tell you. But I also think that it's a good way, like, to if look for a lot of Americans given that you know, people don't like travel that much. I think the option of like saying to an American, like, Go oh, go to this place; it's really exotic," and that gets them out of the country and to travel a
0: little bit, then that's worth it. Yeah. You know, so damn one, the we, word. We kind of – I'm going to sneak it in there. Don't, don't be mad. I'm going to sneak it in there. Uh, you know, we. You know I brought up the exoticism, but, you know, there's this – you know, this kind of feeds into, you know, some of the things we talked about when we were in grad school together is this idea of orientalism, uh, this idea of <laughs> – uh, is so different it's so di- you know we we kind of have this assumption that you know the other place is so different from us they don't do they're not like us they don't do the things that we do you know uh they 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 have different you know ways of doing things they don't think like we do you know we yeah we, we do it over here uh so uh-huh. you know when when you go over there i mean how much of uh how much of that I mean, obviously, I would assume for you uh, having the education and taking some of the classes that we've taken together, uh, I would assume that some of those thoughts probably didn't really enter into your mind. But how much would you say of that? Do you think a person needs to be able to cast aside to really uh, have a good experience, a fruitful experience, or does that have an impact on the way a person would experience going to another place in your mind?
1: Um, Well, I think that, like, the, the question of other, um, how would I, how would I, how would I put this? Um, I think it's all always going to exist. I think that, that 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 you conquer Orientalism from from going um, and seeing the similarities. There's always going to be differences. There's always going to be differences, um, and Orientalism, I think, again, it works you know different ways because, like, uh, you know, for instance, there there are you know, as an American, you are also the other here at least. Uh, you know, I'm an other, um, and you know, you'd be surprised because when I when I first arrived, um, you know, a lot of professors who I worked with and stuff, you know, they told their students like. Or, or you would arrive, and students—they immediately think you're wealthy. They immediately think you—you have—you know—you own a lot of guns. You—you you, meet—you're very violent, um, and and things like this, or you're fat. Uh, so there's there's—I mean there's there's this, the people say, oh, that's stereotype. That's not othering, uh, but that's where I think the othering comes from, because essentially, you know, orientalism. It it depends on, I think it depends on your level of magnification. If you're going to be like looking at Kipling, okay, yeah, you can talk about like Orientalism and like how these, you know, works of art and works of literature depict uh, the colonial. But if you're just trying to, if you're just talking to the random, like the normal person, I think it's a lot more um, important to talk about stereotypes because that is kind of the level that a lot of people are working with. They're not going to work on like kind of this oriental level that you need to read these you know, books and books and books and books about. Um, they should read the books. It'd be great if they read the books, but yeah, that's, that's, that's a pipe dream. Like, you know, you're not going to get a master's level education um, for every single person. And so I think you have to deal with that part first. Then you have to experience I think one of the most biggest dangers that we face um, in academia is this sense of, you know, we study all these different places and we use all these different theories, but we don't really go anywhere, you know, we're always kind of stagnant. Uh, And I realize that sounds kind of preachy coming from the guy that's across the Atlantic, Uh, but, you know, that would be my argument against like, you know, I think, I think at one point, whether you go straight through school or you take years off, you have to get you, if you're going to, you know, go into academia at all, whether, whatever you're studying, you have to experience, I think the world for longer than like six months on a full, I think you have to live, I think you have to live somewhere. I do. I think that, that they, I think with glo- globalization now, it's 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 a really it's not a must, but I think it definitely helps you. It yeah, definitely so changes your opinion.
0: Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a really good point. That's that really fascinating. So one of the things I also wanted to bring up is, you know, uh, what are your thoughts about the need for people to go travel abroad? What are your thoughts about the 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 real need that people should go. I mean, do you think a lot of students should should take that opportunity, should have more opportunity to go and study in a different in a different culture and and immerse themselves in a different part of the world? Uh what do you think uh, the value of that?
1: Oh, yeah, I think I think that's proven. I think that I think that one of the stories that British used to do of like abroad or stuff. Um said so that any the rich, like stuff. So
0: so, but you know, that, that was really and now I think it's also really
1: important for any country kind of to kind of experience because you're you going to exist um in a world where you can connect to someone immediately from anywhere in the world on like instantly. And if you don't understand that that person, you you get into a fight with them and you you dismiss them. That's not fair to them because you're dealing with, you have a completely different cultural context than they do. Um, One of the things I've learned being in Ukraine, um, I've been, I mean, I literally, I did a um, presentation once and, and and a woman came up to me. And it said, like, you know, this, this was really bad. This was really bad, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you, you, you think that, but it's like, they're just, you know, she may not know English that well, and I don't know Ukrainian that well. And so we're, it, she may have wanted to say, like, it wasn't that bad, or it was like, you can never take it. You always have to be um, understanding. And I think that's right. what helps when you go abroad is that, like, you you develop kind of this sense of understanding. You develop patience. You develop patience.
0: Right, right. So you know, another thing I I think a lot of people are going to be interested in is you know the Ukraine has been the subject of, uh, a, you lot just of, heated, of uh, a lot of heated political discussions, uh, particularly over the last year or so, um, with mm-hmm. you know pro pro Russian nationalism and pro or, or pro just Ukraine nationalism. Uh, various groups within the country uh, have their own view of how the country should be run, and we have the uh, increase in influence of uh, you know the Russian government in that region again. And of course, the background history to the region is that at one point in time, Ukraine was a satellite of the Soviet Union. Uh, so, what a uh, what what's it like being um, in the, the conversation uh did you get to experience any of the you know of the debate the conversation about that
1: i mean i'll be honest i don't i i don't really delve into the politics much um it's it's really not my place um because i also don't think that i can ever you really understand uh the politics um in, in a country that I've only been living in for a year um, i think th- there is there's is a distinct um like you know when you think about like the history of it um, you know the region's been contested for a very, very long time. ukraine has been a has been a, a, a real state for um, just over 25 years. Uh, they turned 25 last year. I was here for the 25th, um, and I think that it was great. It was it was awesome, um, and I think that's what makes it difficult. I think that's what makes it hard. Um, but I think, uh, war or not, um, this area of Europe and of the world is going to I think um it all the potential for growth exists here. I think Ukraine is a really beautiful country. Um like I said it's a second home. Um
0: I was gonna ask about that. What's it like over there? You know a lot of people uh, they operate under the assumption that Ukraine, Russia, you know, that part of the world is sort of a desolate, tundra wasteland uh, that's <laughs> con- you know, constantly winter. It's sort of like the Game of Thrones beyond the wall sort of assumption. Tell us a little about what it's like being over there. What's that
1: countryside like? Oh, my God. Ukraine is anything but cold. Uh, I'm sweating all the time. Uh it's 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 I mean it's on the same latitude line as like northern Italy. I, I I can't think about a map right now, but it's it's I mean it's not cold. It it has winters. I I think the city of Ivana Frankies in Pittsburgh have the exact same climate. Exactly. It rains all. It, it's it rains in the spring. It's cool in the fall. It's hot in summer. It's cold in the winter. Um, countryside is beautiful. Um. This, I mean, this is where the step starts. This is you, you can take a horse from here and you can go all the way to Mongolia without the horse having to stop, to, you know, to take a break. Um, so it, it's just, oh, it's majestic. It's its beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, some of the other things I want to talk about, you know, we talked about this immersion of culture. Uh, what's it like, you know, eating differently? Uh, do you still eat the same uh, sort of, you know, Diet that you did when you were in the U.S., or did you go out and sort of uh really get your get your, get your palate uh, a little experiment there? You, well, you it's and not the
1: water's you, you, Ukraine doesn't have. I mean, it's, it's growing up in Pittsburgh, it's a very Slavic community in Pittsburgh. I mean, my grandparents were Slovak and, and Polish. Um, the the food's very similar, very similar. Uh, you know, we call in in Ukraine they have vareniki, but we, you know, in Pittsburgh it's pierogies. Um, ho, um, holopsi. In Pittsburgh it's stuffed cabbage, uh, Holodets, It's like a, a meat jelly, but if you mix it with uh, horseradish, or they're like ajika salsa. It's it's really good. Um, the palate I don't I don't think my palate has changed that much. It's not like if I was going to like Thailand and I you know there's a lot of spicy food. Um it's it's very similar I think to um an American Slavic diet. It's a lot of potatoes, a lot of kobasa. Um I mean the words even. I mean we have kobasi in America, we have kobasa in Ukraine. Um so no. Uh I I think that you know if you are a guy or a pro person, uh, you'll be quite
0: okay in Ukraine. All right, all right. So you know you've uh, you've done I I know you've done quite a bit of writing. Uh, well, we both did. We took took some of the similar classes, so we we kind of we kind of know that game. Uh, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you've written on. Uh, you know, just some of the things that you've written on, you know, as far as scholarship goes and what, what sort of has been your kind of mainstay, uh, your, your sort of, uh, your, your sort of field of expertise. I want to talk a little bit about your field and, and what you find so mm-hmm. best.
1: About it. Um, so I've always, I've always been really interested in um, uh, intellectual history. I, I, I think You know, the the, the spread of ideas, the creation of ideas, Um, romanticism being one of those, um, which I I, like, that's kind of the century I tend to fall into, like the the 18th and 19th, but particularly about women. Um, So women's studies is a big part of that for me. Um, I... (laughs) Uh, you know, I used to joke that I, I always I wanted to study Amazons. Um and I kinda still do, I guess in a way, but they're not the ones that, you know, will kill you. And uh, they'll kill you with your their mind, it's not with their swords. Uh some of them might Katarina Sforza or, or 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 uh Bodicea. But um Bodica maybe. Um but the uh that, like so I did um when I was you know getting my master's degree, my 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 specialization I guess is English history and I studied media. Um and so my the, the work that I did with my thesis was particularly on um how did like you know Protestant and Catholic media um, you know, pamphleteers affect uh, politi- the political situation in England, and I paid special attention to uh, women authors and then the mistresses of uh, Charles II, and how they were instrumental in kind of you know uh, creating political clout or you know, the ideas of power or you know, et um, and it was a lot of fun. It, it was kind of a uh, an expansion of looking at French female intellectuals in the 18th century who ran salons. Um, so I originally wanted to talk about people like Julie de Lespinasse um, and and you know her associates. And it was and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I still want to get back to that. Though, I think um, being in Ukraine and kind of having access to this part of the world and the fact that like France and Germany have been covered to death. Um, yes, they have. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of room to look at like, you know, Polish intellectuals or Ukrainian intellectuals or Austrian intellectuals who are women um, and who have, you know, implemented ideas or taught or you know, wrote or did whatever um, in their fields.
0: Right. And, you know, I noticed you mentioned the, uh, the Catholics and the Protestants. So when you're over there, uh, I know that in Ukraine and Russia uh, and in that part of the world, particularly uh, in Eastern Europe, Eastern, the Eastern Orthodox Church had quite the foothold for quite a long time.
1: Oh, it still does. Um,
0: and I, and mean, I imagine it still does. So how is that going to factor in uh, to your research at all? I mean, are you aware of women you know, in the Eastern Orthodox Church? Um, well, since
1: you know, I local. well since I study so Western Ukraine is a little different from um, like after you get past uh, cities like Ternopil and, and Lviv, um, a lot of people here are Greek Catholic um, because this area was um, you know when when Poland collapsed uh, this area which had belonged to Poland. In the um, and then mm-hmm. in Poland again. And so it's always had a, a, a Catholic influence rather than like an Orthodox influence. Um, where I live, the majority is um, Greek Catholic, not um, Eastern or Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, there is even a Roman Catholic church in the town. so And there's a Roman Catholic cathedral in Lviv Uh, So it's still – it's much more Catholic over
0: on the side. Yeah, this is one of those – this is another one of those things that, you know, you've got to have to – kind of have to go there uh, to know, right? I mean, these are sort of the assumptions that we make about certain parts of the world. You know, we have that general uh, history that we have, that sort of idea of, okay, well, this is the dominant sort of uh, ideology in this region, uh, so we kind of make that blanket statement. Um, which is good that we were able to flesh that out. It's very fascinating that there is such a a large Catholic foothold uh, in in that part of the world. It's very it's very fascinating. So mm-hmm. uh, you, I'm I'm going to move forward a little bit to uh, something else that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm going to cue a little bit of music for this. I feel like necessary, <laughs> but uh, but uh, somebody. Somebody uh, in my show here by the name of Thomas Barefoot is an avid writer of of fantasy literature.
1: Uh, And
0: I want to talk a little bit about your – how your scholarship and how uh, your uh, own experiences have sort of gotten you to branch out into more than just scholarship. Uh, You know, a lot of people tend to think that, you know, once you focus on one area, that's what this guy does. He he focuses on – you know, just women in the in the in in Europe, or just you know Catholics and Protestants, and oh, that's all good. You know, religious history, intellectual history, uh, but you know, you're kind of a jack of all trades, right? I mean, you've got you've got a lot more than that going on. It's not all just about the history.
1: Uh, yeah, so, no. Uh, I'd like
0: to talk a little I, bit about that.
1: Actually, um, you know, since I've been over here um, and being out of academia has kind of reset, kind of my view of the world. Uh Right I've always been writing. I've been writing since I was eight, maybe seven. Um and though you know, it's it's been slow. It's it's been um I've only I feel like I've only recent got recently gotten serious about it. Um, you know, aside from like, you know, a few contest, winning a few contests here or there, like getting into a, like a school magazine or like nothing nothing that i would consider professional um or is is not professional whatsoever um (laughs) and then since i since i've been in ukraine uh i've kind of changed my attitude and i've thought like okay look um you know you can write fairly well Obviously, you know you got your masters in, in a in a in a discipline that requires you to know something about writing. So you're not terrible. You might not be good, but you're not terrible. Um, and or, or I, I speak to myself often. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you're not you're not the worst. There's always something that, someone that's a little worse off than you are. Um, yeah. So I. I, I, a friend of mine here, really smart, really smart guy. Um, you know, he kind of taught me how to read again. Uh, that you, if you're going to be a writer, if you're going to go into the into the art, you know that it's what you have to do. You have to do it. You have to read, you have to write, you have to, you have to, and, and, it, and it's work. It's not, it's not just this creative, like, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm inspired. It's like, you, you have to work every day. You have to write something every single day. Um, and you have to read every day. You have to, you have to, and you, and you have to devour it. And it's not just reading, like, okay, getting the, you know, you have to underline every word you don't know. You have to look that up. You can't just, I'm just going to pass this over. I'll understand what the rest of the story is. So it's like, no, that word's important. And you have to start using those words. And you have to learn the poetics. You have to learn the, the, the strength of telling a story. Um, and so I guess I've come into it a little late uh, compared to um, maybe when I wanted to or when I should have. But I'm quite excited for the, the next step. Um, and and I, it's definitely something I've, I've taken a lot more seriousness to uh recently.
0: Yeah, I mean you know, we talked about this before and something I wanted to get into. I mean you're 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 a big fan of, you know uh Hyboria, right? I mean you're you're a big fan <laughs> of that whole universe. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I yeah. wanna to talk to you about that. You know, get that out there, you know, a lot of you know I, I, I hate to say it but you know, a lot of people think that, you know, you know, scholars, especially people in history, are very stuffy. That they don't, you know, <laughs> that we don't, that we're very, you know, uptight and stuffy, and we're, you know, very turn our nose up at everybody else. Uh, but we, we all have our own, our own things that we're really into. And one thing that you and I really share is this, this whole barbarian vibe. Uh, you know, we're both big fans of that. Uh, so, you know, I kind of wanted to delve into that a little bit. Talk a little bit about your your um, influences when you write uh, your you, you know, for your pleasure, for your uh, edification. You know, talk a little bit about your influences. What uh, what sort of literature is it that uh, really drives you to sort of want to write? Uh, because I think it's important so, that find that.
1: Yeah. So there's I look at there's there's two wings. There's the books you have to read because you're a writer, and then there's the books that you read are your own kind of style and influence. So let me start with the books you have to read first books you have to read uh the bible is is one um, Don Quixote is another um, probably dante is is a third like those are the three you have to read those 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 are the must because everything in in Western literature um, kind of stems from those three. You know, uh, books or series of books, is the case with the Divine Comedy, um, as to what because everything's informed by it. it you know, if you, even if you you pick up The Great Gatsby and you're reading it, it's like, oh, if you know if you know the Bible really well, you're going to get some of Fitzgerald's um, ideas, what he's trying to yeah. say. Now, as to what I you know like guilty pleasure reading, um, yeah, you know of the Barbarian. It's great. It's it's, it's awesome. I, 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 am a big fan of of the kind of sword and sandal world. Uh, but I but I also think that that world's really problematic as well. And I think that recently, especially with like the new Wonder Woman movie coming out, that it's a really good time to revisit uh, these worlds and repaint them because I think you know, when they were created um, I forget who I think it was Bradbury or maybe it was Kipling one of the two had talked about Edgar Rice Barrows as, as, a, as an author and said you know Barrows is one of the one of the best authors in, 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 in the history of the world because he even though the book like John Carter of Mars is not highbrow literature whatsoever right. It right gave you know I think the quote is like he gave boys the sense of adventure he gave he gave young boys the reason to go out and imagine and go play out in the fields and stuff and pretend that you know I'm joining Carter with Mars yeah okay you know the princess that you're trying to rescue is you know scantily clad and like you know rather you know but the, the the thing that barrows always uses or even uh barrows and howard both use this all the time on this barbaric splendor um of kind of like the age of Charlemagne. like you know the kind of like the age of charlemagne like post roman western roman collapse pre carolingian renaissance bar- barbaric splendor of the huns in, in eastern europe or something um but it's cool. I, I think I think there's there's a reason why it's guilty pleasure and it's fun and um but it's problematic and I think if you, you if you want to be a pulp author, that's one thing. That's really um but I don't know if it'll sell today because the market has shifted. Um and so you have to be very you know my whole aim has always been how do you make a a story that is seemingly pulp into something that is very serious and has something to say um i i really one of the books that always comes up is um gore g-o-r which i really detest um because i think what it, it gets down to is is kind of this Hypermasculinity, masculinity ultimate masculinity, and, like, the idea that, you know, just, you know, women are submissive to men. And I just don't, I, I don't agree with that. And that's why I love characters like Red Sonia, who is way cooler than Conan. Um, you know, Red Sonja and, like, Valerie and those those guys are way cooler anyway. Um, but, you know, I, if, as, as, a, as a male reader, you know, you have... Conan, which still that's not a bad, you know, your alter ego is is bad, that's, that's not too bad. Um, but I I've always been very curious of how to create a, you know, how how do you make the Amazon serious? How do you make her like in the same way that Wonder Woman is taken very seriously now today? How do you do that with more characters? How do we how do we expand? kind of the pantheon of Amazonian characters in the world.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's really a really good point. I mean, uh, I think one one way that I think we we are seeing that actually shift, particularly as far as women go in literature, is we see, uh, now that we're on this, I really want to get into this, is uh, mm-hmm. Brienne of Tarth in, uh, in yep. uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, uh, mm-hmm. not, She's not necessarily yeah, right, Game of Thrones. We have Brienne of Tarth. Now she is not posited as this, you know, femme fatale by any means, but mm-hmm. let's be honest, she's a bit of a badass, right? I mean yeah, she, okay. she takes Jeez. she takes on uh she takes on two of the best swordsmen uh in in the entire in the entirety of the series and beats best both of them. Uh you know, oh yeah, Brianna
1: Brianna's oh, yeah. my, like, she's my, I mean, she's one of my dream girls. Like, that's, that's, like, when I think of, like, oh, who you want to get with in the Game of Thrones world, it's like, oh, uh, Brianna's Stark. like, she's way up there. Like, she's, like, like, it's, like, Daenerys. You're
0: probably not, a, yeah, you're, you're not alone, though, I think, because I think uh, Brianna's just captured a lot of people's uh, hearts and minds, uh, particularly uh, because of the way she's been portrayed in the show as well. because she's yeah. very human. Uh, and I think yes, that's where we got to get at that is that they are you know we have to remember that even though uh, she is very Amazon very you know she does possess these quote unquote masculine qualities uh, they don't have to necessarily be masculine qual- qualities uh, and I think that's where we, we sort of dive past that is that Brienne uh, is is a, she is a woman she's a woman with womanly desires she clearly uh, has some sentiment. Uh, for Jamie Lannister even though she does you know put duty and honor and all these things ahead of you know her own desires it's clear that there's a tension there that there is a that there is a, uh, that exists there for her so they make uh, her character very very human and I think that's how we kind of step past that how we get uh, these characters to be a little bit more rounded more more complex that that's sort of what we're what you're wanting to get after
1: I think yeah I de- oh, definitely that's um, that's the whole that's my whole aim um, with, with like like the, the project that I'm going to be working on starting next week because I have a few different projects that I'm currently doing if I can come back from Ukraine with stuff that is submittable for publication then I'll be like oh this was a big success um, but kind of yeah um, satirizing these like hyper masculine worlds and putting in because I think Con, the problem with Conan, Conan's not human. Same with Call the Conquer, Same with John Carter. They're just what? perfect. And when they and when they screw up, if they screw up, um, it's 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 never. It, it's always this really like um, tongue in cheek way because you know that um, John Carter is going to escape. You know Conan's going to escape. Whereas I think the and this is part of, I think, um, Martin's genius with um, Game of Thrones is because so many characters are already, always dying, it, it makes you more invested in someone like Brienne. It, it makes them so much more important because you don't know if they're going to make it or not. Right. You don't know what's going to happen right. to them.
0: That's that's very true, and I think that's another thing I kind of wanted to talk about uh, in regards to your literature. Is this is something that you and I have talked about a great deal? Uh, is this uh, you know this idea that you know people uh, become very attached to the characters that they write, uh, and I, I had a quote from one of my, my advising professor, uh, Doctor Thurman, which I feel is particularly uh, relevant to this. Is that don't be afraid to kill your darlings. Uh and oh. Martin, not afraid uh to kill his darlings. Uh he, he does a very good job of, of giving you a character, they have a backstory, uh they seem like they're important, and then all of a sudden, you know, and, and it's not that they're not important, but just all of a sudden now they're dead. You know, they made Yeah, of them I them.
1: think well Yeah, I mean Martin's world also he's I think it you know, when you talk about like oh you have to kill your darlings and stuff. Um, there's also this 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 idea with it that that's the kind of world that he created. Now you also can see and and maybe this is because it's it happened like this, but I think if you made bets and said okay which characters are going to die. You know, betting against Daenerys seems like a really bad idea because when you look at the the way his world is set up, she's really the only main character in Essos. She's the only one. Um, Yeah, you have like um, Marmot and, you know, call Drogo and like Drogo's dead or whatever, but like you can see how there's still, it's not random. He's still thinking Rob Stark dies because Rob Stark has to die because he represents this you neo-romantic know, ideal that Martin is arguing against and that it that yeah, like, oh, he falls in love for lo- he falls in love because he loves this girl and he you know goes what? back Rob's like the, Yeah, he it, is it, that he, old guard. Yeah, he's in and, and he's and he's you know talking about these kind of themes about idealism or about romanticism, but there's, there's, at the end of the day, there's also just plot elements and it's like, okay, well, Daenerys can't die because if Daenerys dies, there's this whole continent that's kind of just there and it's not being used. In the same way, like, you know, if you're writing, it it all depends on what you're writing about. Like Jane Austen can't just go around killing characters. That doesn't make any sense. Um, well, I, Charlotte Bronte, like, you know, and Jane Eyre. Like, you're not just gonna... You, you kill a character for a reason. You know, there's always a reason of why you kill that character. And sometimes, if you kill a character, and and it's not about whether the fans like it or not. It, just, it has to make sense for the plot. This has to steer the plot forward. The plot always has to be moving forward, and the theme has to be good. Um, and... I don't know. I think that, like, I'm I'm reading Blood Meridian right now by uh, Cormac McCarthy, and it's also very oh, violent. Yeah. There's people dying left and right. But you know, from where I am in the book, you know, none of them, none of the real main characters are are dead or are going to die from what my predictions are. And just the collateral damage, right? Yeah. And so there's different. I think it's every book is different. And we, you know, you, you always have these like aspiring people. These are the rules of writing, and it's always like, don't be afraid to kill your characters. It's like, yeah, unless you have like one character, you know. Then I mean, yeah. I I just finished, I finished the story. The whole point of the character is that she dies. It's the whole the, the whole plot. And so it's like, yeah, she's dead, but like she's dead, and then she's still around. So it's you there's it, 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 there's no rules in writing. There's I I'm not a good writer, and there's no rules in writing. Aside from grammar, grammar is the rule. Grammar is the only thing that matters. Grammar and like that you're telling an intelligible story. Right, right. Um, so we,
0: we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, your sort of your, uh, your kind of hobby and your, your sort of aspirations towards writing uh, this, this other fantasy literature. Talk a little bit more about uh, sort of how your experiences abroad uh, have really – changed your perspective or have not changed your perspective. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. I think people would be interested to know uh, what sorts of things you learn, uh, what sorts of things change in your, your way of viewing, you know, culture, uh, you, know, right, you know, ethics, morals, what have you. Uh, what changes in your mind about the world around you, how you are making informed uh, decisions now about your world now that you've had this
1: experience? Um poor oh, that's that's a lot um okay so the the way I think that I look at it is um let me think here uh, I don't think at any one point like you 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 lose that childhood innocence. By who you talk to and what you write about, and it's like my whole thing is, and, and this has been going to grad school, and especially you know, meeting, you know, very like vocal, um, you know, y- y- people involved in like the feminist movement and different social justice movements. It's like I don't think I could ever sit down and write um, a story that involves someone being like, yeah, you know, I could never make Red Sonja. I could never write. I'd feel disgusting, like, you know, the chainmail bikini and stuff like that. Like, I can't, that I can't do. I can no longer do that, which is a good thing um, because it's so visceral and it's so stupid. Um, and so I think, like, I have been informed because I I want to write, I guess, I want to write seriously. I want to be, I don't want, like, when I when I go to a Barnes and Noble, when I look at like the shelves and like the fantasy area, and I pick it up and I open and I read the first line, and I gag. It's like this is, this is this is this is real bad. This is real bad. Um, and because you can tell, you can tell, and you should still read it because you should read that writing. Um, but you know, you can tell when a person has just kind of sat behind a computer their whole lives, or when a person has like done things. Um, and I think the experience is way more important than um, the, the, the dedication to the craft is very important. But I think experience, especially when you're young, outweighs that a little bit more. Um, because you can always, you should always be able to make time. You have the nighttime when you're not drunk or you're not partying or you're not out exploring or you're not doing this. where you can sit down and do a few words every day. Or you can paint a picture. You can do something. You can create something. But I, I don't know. I've always been one of those people, like, if, if your friends are saying, hey, we're going to go out, and it's not just, like, the friends you hang out with constantly who just want to go grab a beer, um, you should go. You shouldn't just sit behind your computer and write. That's Because that's something in that night could inspire you to do something better in the art.
0: I yeah, I mean I think I think you're raising uh, some very interesting points about you know the importance of really going out and experiencing uh these uh the, this different culture and really going out and it, and and not taking uh sort of the experience granted taking taking the time to really enjoy it and not treating the entire thing as work but treating it for mm-hmm. what it should be that's an experience mm-hmm that, that can be enjoyed and, and, an experience that people uh, that you would come to value. Um, and not just for what you might get out of it as far as career goes, but as, but also, you know, this, this experience that you're going to carry with you uh, for a very long time, right? I mean, you're going to carry this experience with you for the rest of your life. And it, it does definitely seem that this experience has been incredibly beneficial to you.
1: Um, oh, yeah, it's the um. This this is this, this is like probably. I I would break I would break this as probably the best decision that I made in my life. Thus far.
0: And I mean, uh, you you're you're clearly um you're clearly getting sort of your teeth cut as it were, as you know getting getting that in out you know that field experience, getting out there and actually talking to someone different, um, you know a, trying to experience a different culture, trying to expose yourself to different uh, ways of thinking, and the benefits uh, that one can reap by doing that by opening yourself up to the experience so uh, if there were any cons to the experience uh what would you say they were if there were any uh are there any negatives to to traveling
1: abroad um no not that like i can think of i also don't think it's all positive because i think like um you know i have like through how i traveled um i have insurance and things like that um I don't. I always think it's really dangerous to just pack up and go. I, I think you have to have a plan, um, and that that's where I think the cons come into play. Where you have these people who are like, "I'm just going to go travel," and I don't have insurance, and I don't have any real income. And it's like, you no, know, those are those are important after you're like 25 years old. You have to be an adult too. You can't just you you you, you can be a child and and or right? that sounds really salty. Um, no, it's, 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 yeah, like, I don't know. Uh, This is also how I was raised. Cause I, I know a lot of friends who are like 40, 41, and they're just like, they're, they're going abroad and they're living it up and they love it, but I don't think I could. And maybe that's a sign of like personal weakness. Um, but I could never just like sit. I, I, I need to know that like I'm okay. If I don't know that I am, then I'm, probably. And I, I'd just be really worried.
0: So what kind of, what kind of advice would you, would you give to somebody uh, who's going into, you know, another, another country uh, maybe that they're, you know, that they're not really familiar with, you know, they have some expectation of what it's going to be like, Uh, but what sort of, what sort of advice would you give a young student that's going abroad, that's going to do this for their first time? Um the best advice I can get is learn the language as best as you can. You know, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be tackled, that's not how it works. But even a few words is not to convince someone like a waiter or waitress
1: that you care. And then the other thing is, you know, like being kind. Um, it's 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 not seen as um, polite to say hello to someone on the street that you don't know. It's just not. It's just not polite. It's a cultural thing. Um, um, but you know, I also think that like when you are, um, you know, learn people's names, people who you're interacting with on a day-to-day basis, learn your name, say, ask how they're doing, and you know, that kind of stuff. I like I go to a restaurant. If I go there more than once a week, I try to learn the waitress's names or the waiter's names. I try. I say hello. I even in broken Ukrainian. And that's what I think. When you go and you're gonna be living in a place for a decent long time. Uh, if you're gonna live anywhere for over a year or even a year, um, you know you should have you should have a a, a restaurant or a cafe or, or a pub that is yours I think people because the biggest I think the biggest challenge of living abroad is loneliness and even if it feels even if it is superficial even if the waitresses or the waiters only kind of know you as the American or as whatever um, your your brain is at least going to think oh I'm family here I belong here they know who I am. And that, that, that's huge.
0: Yeah, so how much does uh, homesickness affect
1: you uh, in your day-to-day life? I mean,
0: you, know, you mentioned – Not you often.
1: Have- I, I keep myself busy. I, I've always been good at keeping myself busy. So homesickness isn't, isn't that problematic.
0: And so, in your mind, that's probably the best way to combat homesickness for those who are kind of afraid that, oh, well, you know, if I go, I'm just going to want to come home, and I'm not going to want to, I'm not going to really enjoy the experience. Uh, talk about some of the strategies, you know, for kind of, kind of being willing to step more out of that, out of that comfort zone, and really go and try this. Because I mean, this is a big step for people. Uh, who have not, you know, been abroad, who have not had this experience, you know, maybe the, maybe the furthest they've ever been from home was another state, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the strategies that you sort of employ to kind of get around those kinds of things, because I I mean, it could be a challenge for someone.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely is. It's, it's, you just, you have to, you have to set your mind to the idea that this is what I'm going to do. And, um, and that it's, it's never that bad you know I mean you, know, you always have the option to go home if you don't have the option to go home that means you're a refugee so it's a completely different mindset um, but you always have the option to go home and I think when you have that option if you put yourself in, say, because I think a lot of people, I mean, they, when they travel, they're, they're traveling to, to see an objective or a goal, and then they start to get um, dis, disheartened if that goal or objective just isn't going to be reached. And it's like, well, then you just got to make a new objective. You got to find, you know, maybe find a hobby. Maybe you, know, you do you have to do something to keep yourself going forward. That's what's helped me the most is just this idea. Like if, I'm, if I don't feel like I'm um, uh, being productive in, in one fashion, I become productive in another fashion.
0: I mean, that's that's definitely an interesting way of sort of looking at that. I mean, these are these are some good, good helpful tips for those of you listening out there uh, who are looking to study abroad or who are curious about what it's like uh, and what, what to expect uh, when going to another place, the best ways uh, that you can sort of succeed. Uh, because right now, Thomas, mm-hmm. Thomas is succeeding right now. I mean, he is, he is thriving. <laughs> uh, so he is – Thomas is living proof that you can go to another country, and it will, you, you won't need Liam Neeson to rescue you right off the bat. It'll be <sighs> okay. Although you have to, to be honest, you would feel pretty good about having Liam Neeson coming after you to help you out, right? I mean,
1: uh, well, I'd much rather Emily uh, Brunt uh, or Emily Blunt or uh, Charlize Theron, and then Liam Neeson. But, but, yeah, sure, why not? Well, I, I mean, I think we can
0: all agree that having Ch- Theron come after you would 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 definitely be
1: very nice. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that'd be. That'd be lovely. <laughs> I mean,
0: she could even I mean she's she's actually, you know, not bad as far as height goes. I mean she might even be able to, you know, carry out of the out of the burning building after she sets it on fire.
1: Yeah, you know,
0: get, I'm,
1: I'm I'm easy either way. I'm I'm good for it both ways.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, we we've talked a little bit about, you know, your field, your experience, uh, your, your literature, but, you know, talk a little bit more about, you know, there's another thing that you guys need to understand about the world of scholarship. And that is a sense style. Tom, Tom, you got to tell them, you got to tell them about the doors that open for a sharp dressed man. Uh,
1: um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 you always look your best. Um, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I've always, I used to dress like a slob and then, I don't know. My sisters finally just told me, they're like, this is, this is, this is it. You're done. You have to, you have to, you have to be presentable from now on. And, um, ever since then in the winters, um, I am almost always in a tie. um, yeah, I just think I don't know. I think it's good to look nice. I I forget. I think that it's one of those like girly quotes or something. But it 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 fits. I think well. The idea is like you know when you leave the house, you know if you're gonna you you know you should you should you should, you don't know what's gonna happen to you, so you should always be well dressed. And I've always kind of think like thought. Uh, you know, if you get killed, this is what your ghost is going to be wearing, and I'd rather not be looking like a slob, so yeah, if I'm going to be floating around in the ethereal realm, I want to look good.
0: (laughs) So you don't want your Jedi ghost to be wearing sweats, people?
1: No, 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 no. The Jedi ghost has to, he he has to look decent. He he has to look good. He has no choice but to look good. For those of you who You've never met Tom. Don't know Tom very well. He,
0: if we were voting in the, if we were voting in the department for the sharpest dresser, Tom was right up there. I mean, this guy's got a plethora of suits. Uh, something that, you know, I'm starting to invest in. Something that everybody should start to invest in. If you're, if you're a young scholar, or if really, if you're just trying to break out into the business world of any, in, in any sort, shape, or fashion, uh, appearances do matter. Um, you know, oh, yeah. homaging, and keeping yourself uh, looking trim and good, and of course today I'm not the best example of that, I'm kind of vegging out, uh, pre, pre-work, pre you know, sort of sort of veg out. But I mean, uh, you know, when you go out and you go out into the world, people are getting a picture of you, and that picture needs to be one that encourages them to be trusting, to be open to you, and you'll be surprised. Uh, I think, Tom, you even mentioned this before. You'd be surprised how willing people are to talk to you when you do look, you know, very, very formal, very, you know, well put together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so talk a little yeah. bit more about the importance of that, you know, how appearances do, do matter, uh, especially when you're, you know, in another
1: place, uh, in another culture. Yeah, I mean, they, they're... They... <laughs> Appearance always matters. I mean, it, there's one thing now, like, yeah, I'm still in kind of, you know, the European fashion region, like, you know, where, like, there's not like cultural clothes still involved wearing a suit and tie in that, in, in, in that regard. Um, So it, it's easier. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, you wear a suit and tie. You, you you dress well and even if people think you're a little odd which you know they do because uh, he's always in a tie there's always this this sense of respect you know and I think that goes a long way if you're not if you know if you're not like if you're only in it for professional reasons it's a good way to be if you're trying you know maybe like to date like you know, do all that other stuff. Like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe you should calm down on the suits or whatever. But um uh, other than that I think it's really important. You should always look nice. I always look nice. I like how I dress.
0: Yeah. Important that we bring that up. Uh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm I want to paint I wanna paint the picture here for people. They need to know who they're dealing with, Tom. You're doing a good you're you know. doing
1: quite quite a good job, so I'm not um uh you can keep going as long as you like you
0: know they, they, they need to know who they're dealing with uh you know tom is uh he's not uh he's not no slouch people that's the guy uh who's got uh he's put his he's, he's paying his dues right now he's putting in the work uh you know and that's another thing I wanted to talk a little bit about talk about uh the challenges tom of of First, and you know, entering ac- this higher academia that you and I have sort of entered into. I mean, there is sort of this right fraternal sense when we get into this, but it's it's not it's not uh, immediate. You know. Oh, not, I don't uh, know. What?
1: I think I I don't think academia is fraternal. I I think most things aren't fraternal. I think um I think you you choose to maintain fraternity with people. But I, I it, but it's like anything. You can be fraternal from, like, sports teams. You can be fraternal from, like, you know, your frat or something. Um, I don't think – I think I think things like, you know, a graduate program or something, I think they bring people together, but that doesn't mean in any sense of the imagination that they're going to stay together. Um, that's, right. up to the, that's up to the individual.
0: Right, right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the another, uh, you know, sort of, I guess you could call it stereotype, uh, you know, maybe conception of, of, of academia looks like. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the perception of sort of scholars as being rather pretentious and, and and stuck up and snobby and and unwilling to accept any new ideas and. Uh, you know they think they're better than everybody else I mean speak to that a little bit tell me tell me a little bit about uh how how you grapple with that what what would you say to that to people that believe that? Uh,
1: well i mean i've been, call, I've been called i've called before so i mean i yeah i've dealt with it quite a bit um, the i think the issue is one academics um we we talk too much. That's the, that's the first thing. Um, we, we just do. We just talk too much. Um, but the second thing is is that for the most part um, people don't really care. I, I just I don't think people really really care. I think when you're arguing with someone or you're explaining something to someone unless, you're, unless they're already kind of like Willing to listen, they're they're not going to listen. Um, and I think with like the challenge I face, like when I when I do you know, teach history here or English, you know English literature or maybe mainly, mainly history, is talking about like these really kind of esoteric subjects and saying you know this is important uh the other thing is of course is that you know you're never going to be the best and I think imposter syndrome which is real it's a really real thing um is constant and you always have to kind of sit back and just say like look I don't know everything I'm never going to know any everything um I, uh, but I'm still just going to exist. I'm still going to go to work every day. I'm still going to like you know do what I need to do, and I'm still I'm still going to make people happy in my own way, even if like I can't impress everyone. That is the biggest problem with a lot of academics. we're trying, trying to impress everyone,
0: and we just don't need to.
1: Right, right. You know, and, and that's
0: something that I think uh, you know I I've had to uh, grapple with. You know, people. Uh, Either as so the other thing you know the assumption that oh you study uh you study uh, Germany, so you must know every bit of German history that ever was or ever will be uh bound you know like talk a little bit about the ideas uh, about history that you know that there's not really anything there like oh, we're just kind of regurgitating things that have already you know already been done to death, there's nothing for us to talk about uh, what would you say to that?
1: Um. Well, I think there are certain things that are done to death. I think mean, the Civil War is done to death. Um. But but there's always there's the, the thing is is that like at one point you have to say, look, I researched this this one guy's diary or something. Cause that's what my humane you know, dissertation, thesis was, or, or your, whatever you do, and it's this. It seems this really minor thing, but that's what you do. Be proud of it. Teach, yeah, and, that, and I think the teaching is is the biggest part. We never focus. The other thing we never focus on is service, um, and I think service is really important. And I think that, you know, one of the best ways that academics can, you know, kind of show our communities that we're not these pedantic, um, assholes is to go out and, and naturally do things and be positive members of the society. That I think is a really good way to help things. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, there's,
0: there's some really good points that, you know, uh, one thing that we we really never talk about is service. Uh, as far as scholarship goes, it's uh, you know one of the things that I experienced right when I got into it was the hyper competitiveness of oh well now that you're doing this field you need to be the absolute best in your field you need to know everything you have to read these this very specific list of books and if oh you didn't read this guy well uh, then you must not be very well informed because you didn't read this one obscure book that came out in nineteen you know seventy five or what have you, um, whereas, you know, there's less emphasis really now. I feel like uh, scholarship now, uh, to a degree, and you can correct me or you can uh, challenge this if you like. I'd love, I'd love to uh, hear what you have to say to this. But I think a lot of scholarship now uh, is focused towards, you know, sort of hitting that lightning in a bottle publication. You know, I'm going to hit this. I'm going to have this really good, uh, you know, groundbreaking. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get this groundbreaking research. I'm going to hit it out of the park. It's going to be my nest egg. I'm going to get the big boy job at, you know, Cornell or wherever. I'll be a big shot, and then everybody will have to, you know, maybe every, you know, 10 years I might write something, maybe. But, you know, as far as that goes, I'm just in it to get the tenure and and get that one one big book. If I get that one big book, then... None of it. Else, none of the rest of it matters. You know, I don't really. You know, the students and eh, you know, the, the classes. Yeah, that'll that'll get me the money I need to. You know, continue funding my project. Uh, Just like one project. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I
1: think. I don't think that. I, I can't speak to it because I'm not. I'm not a PhD, and I. I'm kind of flaky on like a project anyway on what I want to go and get my doctorate in anyway so I don't know um, I, I do think that we you know for as deep in research as academics get you you still have to have a kind of broad approach you can't just be really good at like one thing you have to you you know yeah. You have to be able to talk to different people, and so like you know, if you're in a bar and the you only know thing you can talk about like you know, um, of something, that's not good. Um, or if you're in media like thing you know, in a in a in a level of class, you can talk about like gender equality throughout history, but yeah, you know, there's no what happened first and then you can talk about how this was detrimental to women or detrimental to different races or different different ethnicities and I think we just kind of throw in like what we want to talk about like you know um, here if you're going to teach teach English um, you have the choice uh, between you know reading um, I don't know uh, like Orwell or like even 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 Charlotte Bronte in like in English, or you know maybe Harry Potter. You know you really like Charlotte Bronte, like yeah, but they can't read it. And so like yeah, you like it. It doesn't matter what you like. It Matters if you can teach it, because they you should be getting them up to Bronte. The so the worst teachers I ever had were the ones that and they never, like, looked at you what your skill level is and,
0: like, how you're actually growing as a student. You know, the one thing uh, that I always found really interesting, um, and I had this experience on, on multiple occasions, uh, which, it, you know, fortunately, in my case, you know, it wasn't a bad experience, but I heard from other students, and I'm not going to name names, that they did have poor experience with this, uh, was when you get to class and – one of the first books you're assigned is your instructor's book and the sort of pressure that you feel when you're reading your instructor's book and they're like, okay, well this week you'll be tearing apart the book that I wrote.
1: Uh, yeah. It's tear apart. That's what it's there for. And if they get mad, they get mad. They're, they're, they're not, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Like you can't go up to them and say, wow, this was a piece of shit. Um, yeah. But I, I, but you know, I guess I, what i would say
0: is what, what i would uh what i would ask about that is you know talk a little bit about you know that experience for yourself because i know you got to experience it as well they they come into mm-hmm. class you get that book list and then you look at the book and you look at your teacher and you think to yourself oh man uh, i stepped into deep water here because you know, i got the expert you know mm-hmm. in the class what do i have to say that you know I can contribute to this conversation.
1: Uh, well, you know, they're, they're a professor and an academic and an expert for a reason. But um, I don't know. Read the book.
0: You, you read it. You see what they're saying. If you like it, you agree. If you don't like it, they're going to be able to
1: partner back
0: with you. And I think the thing with, with reading the professor's book in your classes
1: kind of look and say, um, "This is this is important for this reason, or this is, you know, this is a challenge that I think." And, and I don't know. I've always liked criticism, and so when I send a book, it I don't think it's that much different from it. if you if you are a serious reader. And someone sends sends you an essay or um, a short story or something. You go, you know, dissect this, comment on this for me. If if I just get, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. I'm real bored. I'm real like, uh, this is this is dumb. This is like, I'm not getting anything out of this. Um, right. I want criticism. I want to know how I can improve. And I think. The moment you lose that, whether you're 20 or whether you're 40 or whether you're 60, that's a shame. You should never lose the willingness to be criticized.
0: Well, you know, that's something I talked about before. Um, You know, people tend to view criticism as as such a negative, but it can be very constructive. It can be very helpful. Uh, And so one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up. It's because, you know, for young scholars, this is something that you've got to grow custom to uh, in that we are not afraid to, uh, most of us aren't afraid to come out and say, uh, here's everything. Here's the things that I really like about what you did. Mm -hmm.
1: Here's the thing
0: that you need to improve on. And, you know, you know, when you first get that, that, first paperback and you see red all the way down you think, oh my god I have failed I I'm terrible but you don't feel so bad when you see that everybody in their class got that same you know paper that had all red
1: you know oh even if you're the only one that got all the red um, just you know pick yourself up and keep going that's that, that's at the end of the day. That's all there is. Same with same with fiction. Same with academia. Like you're gonna get something from an editor that says, uh, "Sorry, you don't want this." And you're like, "Oh, my friend said this was perfect." Blah blah blah. But you nope, know, the, the person that needed to like it didn't like it. So right. to to try again. You know, and and it's yeah. That's 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 the end of it. Is it's like the person that needed to like this didn't like it and now I have to go back to the drawing board. And if it took me a day to write this short story or if it took me, you know, a year to write this novel, it's not good enough, and I have to go back. Or I send it to a different person that might like it, but, you know, we'll see. Right,
0: you know, and that's one of the other things I think it was really important that you and I flush out is that, uh, you know, nobody gets, you know, you know, the perception is, a lot of times... Is you know, young scholars or just scholars in general, uh, we, we do our research, we just nail it. We knock it out of the park right off the bat, and, you know, what we wrote is just amazing, and, you know, life is great. Uh, we just kind of sit around, we read a bunch of books, we write it down, and it's gold. Uh, you know, I think you, you and I both know uh, that there is definitely a process, and the, and the criticism is an important part of that process. Yeah, you, uh, have, to, it you have to be a
1: better writer. Yeah, you have to be open to criticism. Criticism is the best part. That's the most fun. Editing editing's editing is way more fun than I mean, writing the, the the original draft is a lot of fun, but normally whatever you wrote the first time, everything's changed by the end. Every single word is different by oh, the yeah. end of it. Oh well, I mean
0: so, I did you know, I did I think three, you know, know 13 drafts for my final you know graduating project i i had to draft like 13 times i was like this is not the you know uh one of the other things is you can't be afraid to uh let your research become what it's going to be i think you and i i think you could speak to that a little bit is you know when you go into a project you have an idea about what it's going to be but sometimes
1: something oh it becomes out. something completely different it's 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 completely different than what you thought it was gonna be and it's really weird and you know, you get an email from a professor It's like this sticks and it's like, Ah yeah, okay, I'm gonna go back. Um, yeah, I mean it's tough. It's it's a really rough time. Um but I don't know why I do it really. I guess I'm a sadist or a masochist. Um you know, I like I, I like I like pain. Um, and you know, mental pain, and physical pain too. Why not?
0: Um,
1: you know, and and it's yeah, it's just it's just really rough, but you you do it you do it because you love it. You do it because it's fun. there's no leather and lace
0: in this show, Tom. What's that? I said there's no leather and lace in this show, Tom. No, no pity, pity,
1: pity, pity.
0: Yeah. Um. So. You know, that's that's one of the things that I think it was important you and I flesh out is that, you know, don't get discouraged when you go into research just because it becomes something different. I went into my – I don't know how it was for you for your thesis, but when I went in for mine, I mean, I had an idea of what I was going to do. I'm like, all right, this is the idea. This is what we're rolling with. I want to talk about, you know, missionaries from Germany and China, and I really think this is good, and nobody's doing this. And then – and I'm like, this is great. You know, I, I think this is magical. And I turn it in. You know, you, you put in all this time, the coffee-fueled night. You turn it in, and the professor goes, yeah, this is awful. I don't miss it all. It's terrible. Um, what were you thinking? And you just go back, and you're like, where could I have gone wrong? And then yeah, you I think, mean, oh, it, it, well, I didn't it, it, talk about all these other factors. Your, your, your critics are going to say, you know, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about this. Uh, and you think at first, well, why would I talk about that? But then you start cool. looking into things, and you think, why wouldn't I talk about this? Why why was I wasting my time?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at one, at one point you have to sit down. Like, you always, I do think, like, before you send it to the editor, before you send it to the professor, before you send it to whoever, um, you know, have a friend read it. Have someone read it. Like, you like this. And if they say it sucks, it probably sucks. Um, oh, yeah. And then you can improve from there. Um, I mean, you're going to run into, like, you know, the assholes that go there, everything sticks. And it's like, well, you avoid them. Um, but then also at one point, you have to submit. You have to send it. You have to get it created. You have to send it to an editor. You have to send it to a publisher. And then you can't be afraid of that you eventually have to grow up and say all right it's time 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 for this to see if it works and if it works it's great and if it doesn't well then it doesn't work
0: thing that a lot of people uh, that are looking to get into a graduate school they think about you know oh my gosh this is really intimidating here are these experts and and these other students who are going to be you know wunderkinds uh, I don't know how, you know, when you first came in, I don't know how you felt about it, but when I first got there, I was under the impression that every single student there was just like a whiz kid. I'm like, oh, my – like, everybody that came in, I'm like, holy crap, like, every single one of these guys is super smart. I thought I was smart. I'm so dumb. Like, my first uh, my first whole week of class, I was like, I have no – like, first couple of days of class, no idea what anybody was talking about. People started throwing out words I'd never heard of. I'm over here on my laptop, Google and stuff. I'm like, what does that mean? Praxis, what is that? You know, you start looking. Yeah. It up, yeah. No, I mean, you had... talk to.
1: Yeah, go ahead. No, you do. I mean, you, you feel weird about it. But then you're there for a year and then you're like, oh, I know what's going on now. And it's not that bad anymore. And you, 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 you grow. It's always about growth.
0: Right. You know, and it it, it goes back to what we've kind of been we've kind of been hammering home it is all a process, mm-hmm. it's all a gradual process. You're moving, you, you have a goal, you're moving towards that goal, but you have to take all those steps along the way. They're all necessary. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit also about uh, what it's like to complete the graduate pro- to complete your graduate work, uh, you know, from your, you know, I want to get your feed on that. You know, what's it like, you know, talk to our audience Willis, about what it's like to take your comprehensive exams, to prepare for that, because there is, oh. a, there is a, sort of a terror that's associated with comps. We all heard it when we got, when we got into grad school, comprehensive exams. Uh, you're never going to be the same,
1: you know, the, the exam. Everyone, everyone I remember talking to about that was, it's the hardest thing in the world, hardest thing in the world. And I just think that like, I mean, I read a lot. I was when, after I'd finished classwork, and I remember I had the books long before that, but I didn't really open any of them. I might have opened like one or two and then you know other things happen. Uh, Nonsense. Uh, But when I got home for the summer I'm like all right, taking my exams uh, the end of August. I was taking them at the end of August. And you know I would come home and yeah I would read and, and, and my entire room was filled with books. It was filled with books. And and I read every day, and I read all this shit that I don't remember. Well, I, I mean, I could probably... If someone brings stuff up, you still remember certain things. You just don't remember a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I just was like, huh, that's a lot. But then I took it, and I got A's. Right. Minuses. I got it. I mean, I passed, and it was fine. It was no big deal. And it's like, you know, and... And then, if I recall, I got drunk and I missed work the next day and I almost got fired from Panera when I was working there for the past comps. And I was like, oh, it's worth getting fired for past months. Um Yeah, it, 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 but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Nothing's that bad. Nothing you do is that yeah, after, bad. After the, after the sentence, and then I got drunk.
0: It's <laughs> not that bad. No, uh, yeah. I. I I want to talk a little bit about you know mine as well. Uh, now that we're on it, is that um, you know I had prepared. You know, I, I remember the same situation. You know, here you are. You've got. You know, I took both of my comps within a week of each other. Uh, you, yeah, know, you have. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't space I think you have it. Yeah. You know, no, no, no space at all. I was like, all right, how close together can I put these things? Because I just want to get them out. I think I had. I think I had, like, four days in between my comps. You know, you have to have X amount of – they have to be within a week of one another for sure. Uh, but I think I just went ahead and said, you know what, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm pretty sure I took them within four days of each other. I took the first one, and then it was like, all right, now I'm going to use these next four days, and I'm just going to read. But I mean, Yeah, I
1: can't. I can't remember now if I took them – Immediately, like one after another, like really close. I think I went home. I think I went home. I think I took them a week and a week. Yeah, but I I took them. I, I forget. It's that whole that whole like those that weeks. weeks yeah, the yeah. whole month of August of 2014 doesn't really. I don't remember much of it. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe for maybe for other reasons than the comps, but you know I don't remember. I was I was working. What was I doing? Um, I mean I, I was going to the gym a lot. I was at Starbucks for a while. I was working. Yeah, I was working at Starbucks. Was going to the gym, studying for comps, coming home. That was like that was the day. That was the day. We were moving. Yeah, we were moving too. So it was it was that whole that whole summer was a mess.
0: That was just—it was—it was a lot. Yeah, I mean, we—you—you we, you, you know, when
1: you prepare for comms,
0: you know, everybody tells you it's going to be the most terrifying thing. I remember, though, one thing I would recommend to anybody that is thinking about entering a grad school is definitely talk to the second-year students and the PhDs. The PhDs are your your friend.
1: Yes, uh, they are.
0: They—they they are what it takes i cannot tell you how much time i spent in chris bartone's office like i can i'm like chris and <laughs> tell me what's going on mm-hmm. um, you know? yeah and no, i mean you got to the the you know the one thing that i want to that that both thomas and i will agree on is that you know when you're we are it, when you're in grad school uh, it is not this every man for himself sort of thing that people try to make it seem out to be. Uh, you're in this thing together. <laughs> you are you are in it together. Um, you may not all be taking the same class, but whoever happens to be in your class that is a PhD or somebody who's been with your, go talk to that person and become their best friend because they know what you're supposed to read. They know what the professor is looking for when it comes to work. You need to talk to them. Um, yeah, no, do... it's it's you
1: just yeah, you gotta just you know, um, it's 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 a lot. It's it's just a lot. <laughs> Graduate school is oh man. What a, what a time.
0: What a time. Yeah, what a, what a glorious time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, one thing I'll say for sure is another thing, uh, you know, procrastination uh, is uh, got the devil's fingerprints all over in graduate school. I remember being able to put off papers and put off assignments in, in undergrad and just hammer them out in a day I cut that practice somewhat when I got to grad school to a degree especially when it came to the bigger projects I'm like I need to start on this
1: right now yeah no I mean I I still procrastinate so that hasn't changed in my world at all but I'm getting there I'm getting there slowly one of these days oh, Thank you,
0: sir. Back and flash, sir.
1: I I, I am trying to be the man, as it were.
0: Well, you know, Tom, we have gone for a little bit now. Anything else you think we uh, we should get into when it comes to Ukraine, studies, anything else you want to talk to, talk about, share with the audience, guys, if you're in there listening, you want to ask questions, now is your
1: time. Feel free. Um, let, me, let me think. Uh, what what haven't we talked about, sir? What well, what do yeah. you what are you what what's piquing your mind today? Because I I I've enjoyed recently that we've been talking more, like re re communicating as it were, which has been which has been a lot of fun.
0: Oh yeah, it has. It has. You know, I think one of the other things I want to talk about is, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, how professional relationships can oftentimes turn into, you know, very strong, you know, friendships as well. I mean, I think you and I have sort of reached that, uh, reached that, we reached that point. I mean, uh, we've got a professional relationship here, but we've got a friendship and it
1: spans continents, man. It does. Let me ask this. What, what, what is the, how do you define that? How do you, what, like, what do we, what do we have in common that makes that powerful?
0: You know, I think it's our love for, you know, all that is, uh, we, you and I love that primal, that primal hmm. man versus, man versus himself, man versus nature. We're really into that. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. that uh when it comes to sort of the overcoming of adversity, you know, you and I know what that's about. We, we know what it's like to pitch yourself up against the beast. Even if the beast is your own, you know, doubt, your own sort of, your own sort of uh, humanity, if it, as it were, you know, you and I find that we find that challenge to be uh, welcome. You know, we don't mm-hmm. away. We like that challenge. You and I are, are of a kind. we, we approach life with a voracious appetite. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why you and I connected so well, uh, you know, even outside of study uh, is we have that similar mentality that, you know, we're going to knock the, whatever we're working on, we're going to knock this shit out.
1: Yeah, know? I agree. I completely agree.
0: This is, this is a, uh, this is a sort of will and determination. We've got that in common, uh, which is, you know, not, not to say that other people don't have it, but I mean, you know, you got to have that when it comes to getting to your goals, you got to have that killer
1: instinct. Uh you and I don't, yeah. we don't mess around. You know? No. No, it's that it's that passion and It's you know, that desire for championing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I and I think that's that's one of the one of the uh things that I would also encourage people is, you know, get to know the people you study with because you're going to find that you need to look beyond this – is, this is just good advice in general, particularly in, mm-hmm. in the world, but you need to be willing to uh, really step out of your comfort zone and get to know people that you're working with because you might be pleasantly surprised to find out that the person you're working with is, is an actual person. They've got, uh, you know, they've got their own personality. They've got, you know, they've got their courts, got your courts. But you'd be pleasantly surprised often to find that you're going to have a lot in common. With people, uh, and mm-hmm. and that can be very helpful. Not just as far as professionalism goes, but it also helps to have somebody who has something in common with you that you can connect with and talk to about things outside of professional, you know, outside of the professional realm. That's an important safety valve to have, just in general. Uh, and I think uh, that's one of the things you need to build a rapport with someone.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, no, definitely. You, Right on, right
0: on the money. You know, and I think you and I have sort of built that rapport. Uh, and I think, you know, some of the, some of our classmates also built that rapport. I mean, I, I know that, uh, you know, there were certain classmates that I had, but I didn't dislike them. But we didn't gel. You know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot, and, you know, they were studying this and that really didn't have anything to do with me. And they, you know, they didn't really take an interest in me and I didn't really take an interest in them. And so we never connected. I knew them to be there yeah. was an acknowledgement but you don't you know you don't always step outside there has to be uh you know i think it always helps to have that certain to find out that that person that those similar uh you know interests as you oh you like this you like this literature i like this literature what else do we like that we both mm-hmm. like no i'm glad yeah. that, that that's that's awesome uh, you know, so I think that's definitely uh, something that's really contributed to that, and I think that's an important step that everybody should take uh, when they go into any profession is to get to know the people uh, you're working with. Uh, just outside, you know, it's important to m- talk to people and get to know them outside of work um, because you know people at work they are putting on a certain side of themselves. They may still be kind of you know fully. Some people are themselves basically every way they go. Um, but a lot of people put up a certain facade. There are certain things you cannot see when they're at work. They are not uh, that person all the time. Uh, so yeah. it's important to side of that context because you might you know you might have formulated opinions about them that you know necessarily
1: uh, are to your detriment. are true? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you.
0: You know, And that, and also, that applies to when you approach, I think, that, that goes back and segues into what we talked about when you approach, uh, when you go to another place and you experience a different culture. Uh, I came, I spent the majority of my life in Texas, uh, but I was from Indiana and I had spent some time in Ohio, but it had been some time since I'd been here. Uh, so it was a little bit of a shock for me uh, coming back, not really knowing anybody, not really, uh, you know, being used to a different setting, you know, di- being used to a different socio and political climate, uh, it was a little bit different for me when I came up here. But it was important for me to reach outside my comfort zone and get to know the people I was working with, because then I found uh, a little bit more comfortability where I was. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, that's that's what I think uh, I think is important. One of the other important things we needed to talk about. Um, is the importance of being able to step outside your comfort zone and remembering people you work with, the people that are around you, are, in fact, people just like you are, uh, you know, and they have their own personalities. uh, And you don't want to go into situations. Just a good rule of thumb in general is to just not go into uh, conversation or go into situations assuming that you work with them. Like that's – or because you, you know, You've been around their area, so you you know what they're about. Uh, yeah that's that to me is just completely problematic, and I may be overreading that, but I think that's very problematic, just in general
1: mhm uh, I agree, I agree with you one hundred percent, sir
0: so uh, I guess uh one of the other things you know how's it feel being on the radio talking to millions, man mm-hmm. uh-huh live right now it's, we're we're going through facebook blog talk
1: my station it's uh it's pretty incredible i i uh I never got this chance before so it's 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 pretty epic
0: it's fun. it's it, and it was fun right i mean i know you you had some you had some 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 trepidation but we powered through it together That's we did we did you're you're a hell of a host Hey man, hey, I appreciate that. Uh anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Anything you want to say?
1: Uh I can't, not that I can think of right now.
0: Thomas is a is a is a Penguins fan, aren't you, Thomas?
1: Yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to go home actually because they won two in a row with me being abroad. So if they if, if I go home and they lose, then I'll know that it's my fault.
0: You guys, that's another thing I forgot to mention is that uh you know Tom's a penguins fan for all you for for all you hockey fans out there, especially you penguins fans who are feeling you're riding pretty high after that Stanley Cup win uh you know, if Thomas comes back and they lose, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say that you know
1: you're probably My fault have to
0: book, yeah, you're probably gonna have to book Thomas a flight out of the country again.
1: Yeah, most likely I'll be going back into exile.
0: Put you on the spot, especially since you know we're broadcasting out of Philly. You know, so
1: right in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I don't mind it. I um, I'm, I'm, I don't mind it one bit.
0: I don't mind the pressure. You're you're okay with the pressure.
1: I am. I. You know, like you said, I was a little. A little nervous when we began, but this, this was this was a lot of fun. This was this was a great time.
0: And you know well with, with you know, Pittsburgh with as many championships as they've got, I mean, you guys will be okay if you don't win anymore.
1: You got a lot of yeah. championships. We're we're doing we're doing okay for ourselves. You guys are, you you
0: know. guys are gonna be okay. up uh, so well, you wanna you wanna say anything to the folks back home? I don't know how many of them are listening to you, Thomas. But you're going through Facebook, you're going through Twitter, you're going through LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm streaming you through pretty much every social media.
1: Everything, totally. I see. This is. I gotta be careful what I say. If I'm this, it's like this. This it's a lot of pressure. You know, I I've been I actually haven't been trying to kind of hold back. A little bit as we've been talking, knowing that, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are listening right now. You don't want to uh, give away all your secrets.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, if you want to say hi to the hi to the folks back home,
1: you can just say hi to the folks back home, Tom. All right. Well, you know, hello, hello, family, miss you, and uh, so, I mean, we talk a lot. We, we, my family and I, we Skype constantly, so it's. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's not too too it's not
0: too too bad. Yeah. Well, guys, I, that's that's uh, you know nobody has uh, messaged me yet. Of course, I'm going to do my recap. And uh, Thomas, it is on Facebook, guys. Uh, you can find him, Thomas Bare, Thomas barefoot, B A R E F O O T barefoot. barefoot. Uh, you can find him on. You can find that sharp-dressed man on there. If you have questions about graduate school, you got questions about studying abroad, advice that you would like to get from him, or you just want to find out more about his his projects or his literature, uh, you can, can reach out to him through Facebook. Uh, he is a busy guy, but he will try his
1: best to get back to you. Um, and you feel sir, bad. I probably I probably message you more than you message me, sir. I always feel bad. I know it's okay though, and uh, I will also be
0: available uh, to talk to you guys if you are you know looking to get in touch with Tom. Uh, feel free to contact me anytime. I will get back to him and get you the answers that you seek, guys. This has been the back Backs. Thomas. Thanks for thanks. coming, man. Go away, song. You came in strong. You get to leave the same
1: way. Nice.